Okay, let's get started. We're going to read a couple of verses out of the end, or not the end, but kind of the middle of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Look in verse 9. Read the beginning of verse 9, jump down to verse 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Father, that is our prayer this morning. That is the only reason we have gathered here this morning. Such were some of you. Such was I. God, that apart from your grace and your salvation, that we are without hope. That you don't leave us in that condition. That we are washed. We are justified. We are made holy. Not because we earned it. Not because we purchased it. But because of the name of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. God, teach us this morning what it means to be a holy church, what it means to live as your people in the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So as, uh, as many of you probably know, uh, I went to college at Oklahoma Baptist University over in, in Shawnee, and so there at OBU, at that time, they may have changed now, but at that time, we didn't have fraternities and sororities, we had social clubs which were fraternities and sororities. We just didn't call them that. We called them social clubs. Um, I wasn't in a social club, but when I became a junior at OBU, I found myself initiated into a special group at OBU called the Dad Club. Now, before you think that that means what you think it might mean, it does not mean that. I did not become a dad when I was a junior in college, all right? Um, I not met Amanda, we weren't married yet, so hear me out on this. Um, there were a group of guys on campus at OBU who years before had formed the Dad Club. And what they had done, they made up this story. And, you know, they say it started out as truth, but I don't know, it seems pretty legendary. Um, so the way the story goes is an OBU student was at the Shawnee Mall one day walking around when he heard a little kid yelling out for his dad. And this OBU student heroically went over and helped out this little kid at the Shawnee Mall who had lost his parents. If you ever went to the old school Shawnee Mall, you know it's a pretty scary place. Uh, like, that's a, that's a horror film in, in the making, the old school Shawnee Mall there. But um, So it went over and rescued this little kid, came back and told his friends what he had done, and they formed the Dad Club. And so to get into the Dad Club, all you had to do was know the wrong people, um, and, and they would invite you over to one of their apartments, and they would put you in a dark room and set like an interrogation light bulb above you and start chanting and, and running around you in the room, and then you had to yell Dad as loud as you could when they told you to yell Dad, and you were a part of the Dad Club. And what we will do to be accepted in college... Um, so you became a part of the dad club, and when you went around campus, every time you saw someone who was in the dad club, you were supposed to yell out, dad, really, really loud. 
And that's the end of the story. That's about how cool it was. <laughs> and so you became a part of the dad club. I couldn't tell you five people that were in the dad club um, in college, but I do remember that interrogation light bulb above my head and those guys running around in that, in that apartment. So it's amazing. It's amazing what we will do to be part of a group. And when you become part of a group, it's amazing the way that that group will influence what you say, the way you act, the way you feel about your personal identity. So we're going through this series about holiness, and we've arrived this week at the theme of the Holy Church. What does it mean to be a part of a group called the church? How does it influence the way we speak, the way we act, the way we think about our identity? Remember the way um, kind of our summary slide works for holiness. So when we talk about holiness, we are talking about separated from sin, dedicated to God. And, and I'll tell you, just as an aside, the more I study this and the more I've read some scholarly articles over the last few weeks, that second underlying phrase is becoming more and more prominent in studies that are done about holiness. It's not just about separated from sin. It's more and more about Holiness means that you are dedicated to God, that you're given over fully to the things of God. So holy, separated from sin, dedicated to God, easy definition to hold on to. But it happens in three different ways in a sense, that we are made holy in Christ. We are declared holy through what we sometimes call justification. We continue to grow in that holiness, what we call sanctification. And then one day, presented completely holy in Christ, sometimes we call glorification. We've been talking about those things primarily as individual matters, but here's what I want you to know, Emmaus. Those realities of holiness are not just individual matters. They are meant to characterize the people of God as a group. They are church realities. So we are not just holy individuals who happen to show up at the same place this morning. If you are in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are a part of the Holy Church, which means as the church, we are made and declared holy in Christ. As the church, as a group, we should be made more and more holy together. We should be conformed as the people of God into the image of Christ. And one day, as the bride waits for the groom, that we would be ready to be presented glorified, set before Christ as perfectly holy as his bride, as the church. So these are group realities. Now let me speak just for a second to this thing. If you are here this morning and you are not a follower of Jesus, you say, what does the church have to do with me? Let me give you two things to hold on to if you are not a follower of Jesus, but you're curious about how this could connect to your life. Number one, even if you don't care much about Jesus, you probably realize that in our world, loneliness is an absolute epidemic. That we have more and more ways to be connected to people, but we are lonelier than we have ever been before. The studies that are coming out about teenagers and loneliness are, frankly, just disturbing. That you could be so connected to people, but feel so disconnected feels so lonely. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus, you probably still care about being a part of a group. You still value community. You still value friendships. And so listen in about how the church impacts that. Here's the other thing. If you're not a follower of Jesus, one of the reasons you might be turned off by that so badly is hypocrisy that you've seen in the church. 
People will put up with a lot of things, but the thing they won't put up with is if you say one thing and do something else. And so what I want you to hear this morning is that when we say a holy church, we don't mean an holier-than-thou attitude. Because holiness in the church is not something that we earn through our good behavior. It's something that is made true in our lives through the power of Jesus. So you don't earn your way into the church. You don't sell your way into the church. You don't buy your way into the church. You don't, you're not even born into the church. Being a part of the holy church of God is something that happens by the power of Jesus. And so as we think about this this morning, I hope that that will make sense, that we're trying to guard against loneliness and we're trying to guard against hypocrisy. What does this look like? 1 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians 5, we're going to walk through this chapter, think about these verses, and then, and then draw a few, a few conclusions. Here we go. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1. Paul says, Paul writes, It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. We know sexual immorality is a problem in ancient Corinth, just as it is in our modern day situation. And here it's reached its irrational conclusion as most people think that for a man, where it says a man has his father's wife, it's referring to a stepmom. Honestly, does that make it any better, easier to stomach? No, not really. It, it's just disturbing. It's meant to feel repulsive, to think, how could that be the case? Verse 2, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. So not only, now remember, we're not talking about a random club in town in Corinth. We're talking about the church that this is reported as taking place in the church, and the people are arrogant about it, seemingly almost bragging about it. And Paul says, how can you be arrogant about that type of sin in the church? Shouldn't you be mourning? Here's a question. Why would they be arrogant about that? Why would you be bragging that we have a church where a member is being sexual and immoral with a stepmom? Like, what's to brag about there? Remember, remember that Paul's message was very much about freedom in Christ. So he's preaching freedom. You're set free from sin. You're set free from death. You are free in Christ. And so some indications are that the people had taken that teaching about freedom to a conclusion that Paul never meant for it to go to. So they heard free in Christ, and they said, great, we can do whatever we want. Well, that's not what Paul meant. In many places, he, he corrects that. On top of that, the false teachers who came into Corinth, the way they made their living is they preached independence, no accountability. If you were really an apostle, if you were really a follower of Jesus, you were not going to be held down by what other people said. So if you mix rampant freedom with rampant individualism, that's how you get verse 1. Not only do I live my life however I want, but I don't tell anybody else how to live their life. Now, if you mix, let's just say, rampant freedom with rampant individualism, not only do you get first century Corinth, you get 21st century Western 
reality, North America, United States, that, that type of thing. I'll do whatever I want, and you better not tell me to do anything different. You see the way that works, and they become arrogant about that. Verse 3, Paul says, For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, so Paul is preaching this accountability. You, you, you guys think you're separate from me, but I, I still care about what happens there. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. Okay, watch this. When you have rampant freedom and rampant individualism, what is the one thing you cannot do in that type of situation? You're not allowed to judge anybody else, are you? Like, that is completely off the table. We will talk in the spring when we get into a series on the Sermon on the Mount. We'll talk about that verse in Matthew chapter 7, Judge not lest you be judged. There's probably no data to back this up, but I heard someplace that that verse had replaced John 3.16 as the most popular verse in American culture. Probably true. Because if you judge someone, immediately people will come at you. How can you do that? Now, Scripture does say, judge not lest you be judged. Don't prejudge. Don't judge based on false motives. Don't judge based purely on, on external factors. Yeah, all those things are true. But many, many times in Scripture, you find that we are supposed to make judgments. We are supposed to make judgments about situations, about what's happening in the church. And so Paul's not backing off. He says a judgment needs to be made. Somebody needs to stand up and say something about this. Verse 4, so when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present, so divine influence, human influence, my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus. Verse 5, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. I mean, feel the weight of that verse. Feel, feel the weight of that and how strange that strikes our 21st century ears when, when we hear something like that. It seems like verse 5 matches the word removed from verse 2. So back in verse 2, let him who has done this be removed from among you. What does that look like? Verse 5, you're to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. So many theories, so many ideas about what this phrase means. Best I can explain it, best I understand it, when it says to be delivered to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, allow that person to live out the conclusions of their way of life. So if you continue to follow this path of sexual immorality, if you continue to follow this path of individualism and freedom, at some point you're going to have the prodigal son moment where the fun's going to run out. So I'm running away from the Lord I don't want to be held down by what other people say. I don't want to be held down by my parents or my friends who are trying to keep me accountable. And so Paul says, if you remove that person from the church, from the confines of spiritual oversight, let them live out the conclusions of that way of life, ultimately it's going to result in the destruction of the flesh. It's going to run out of power. It's going to run out of joy in their life. And what hopefully will come from that at the end of verse 5 is that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord, that he will turn back to the Lord and see that that is where the only hope is found. Now, you might be thinking, well, if you remove this person from the church, isn't he just going to go and join the other church down the road? No, because it's first century Corinth. 
There was the church at Corinth. And so when you remove someone from the church, they were outside the confines of spiritual oversight. They were outside the confines of spiritual friendship, spiritual help, gathering around the Lord's Supper, celebrating with the church in baptism. They become disconnected from all these realities of spiritual growth and the grace of God at work in, in our lives. And so you didn't just run to the church down the road. There was nowhere else to run. You were set outside the church at that, at that point. Verse 6, Paul says, Your boasting is not good. Paul in Scripture will say, Boast in the cross, boast in the Lord. If you're going to boast, boast on the cross, boast in the Lord, here they're boasting about how well they can sin. Um, dangerous place to be. Why? Middle of verse 6. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Come on, Paul. It's just one guy in the church. Just one guy. Let him stay around. It's not fair to him or his family that you're going to put him out of the church. Can't he just stay around? No. Why? Because Paul knows that that type of thinking, that type of sin will begin to infiltrate the body. Those of you at your job places, in your families, on your sports teams, in your clubs at school, you get one toxic person in the mix. Does that affect just one person? Not a chance. That type of reality, that type of thinking, that type of living begins to, to spread throughout the group. And so what are we called to be? A holy church. You insert that type of sinful living, that type of thinking, it infiltrates the whole body. So what do you do? Verse 7. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Just a quick Bible reading tip that comes out of this verse. If you ever get confused or have trouble tracking through a verse or a passage of Scripture, work through it in reverse. This is one of those pieces of Scripture that when you read through it, you think, how do those pieces fit together? When you start at the end and work backward, it actually begins to, to fit together. So you look at the end of verse 7. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So our hope of seeing sin destroyed, death overcome, is through Jesus' sacrifice. Back up a step from that. As you really are unleavened in the middle of verse 7. So because of Christ's sacrifice, the reality is that we are pure, unleavened. We don't have these negative sinful things at work in the, in the body. So we are unleavened. Beginning of verse 7, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. This is one of the hundreds of times in the New Testament where Paul is saying, act out who you really are. So are they unleavened? Are they pure? Are they holy because of Christ? Yes. So what should you do with that? Cleanse out the old leaven. So am I already holy and right with the Lord? Yeah. Live like it. Become who God created you to be. Become who God has made you to be. Reality? Live it out. Verse 8, what do you do when you have that reality in your life? Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, not with the old way of life, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. 
The problem with the other way of living is that it's pure hypocrisy. You say I'm a part of the church. You claim the name of Jesus. You say, oh yeah, Sunday I'm going to meet with that group of people down the road. And then everybody else looks in and says, wait a second. Claim the name of Jesus? Meet with those people down the road? That's not who I know that person to be. And so they're living with no sincerity, no truth. And Paul says, if you're going to really celebrate what it means to be the people of God, it has to be with sincerity and truth. What you say has to match up with what you do. Who you are on the inside has to match up with the outside. So verse 9, Paul says, how did I get to this point with these people? What did I do wrong? Verse 9, oh yeah, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Now, you say, I wrote to you in my letter, aren't we reading 1 Corinthians? Ah, it's never that simple, is it? Um, okay, hold on just a second. 1 Corinthians is actually 2 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians is actually 4 Corinthians. Serious, it really is. Um, easier way to think about this is A, B, C, D. So, Paul writes an original letter to the church at Corinth. They get confused, struggle with it. Right back with some questions, he gets some reports. So he writes 1 Corinthians, the, the first letter from Corinth that we actually still have access to historically. Whatever 1 Corinthians actually was has been lost to history. We don't have that. God has not preserved that as part, part of Scripture. So we have 1 Corinthians. Then he wrote them a really angry letter where he was super upset. We don't have that one either. Mercifully, probably. We don't have that one either. Then we have 2 Corinthians that comes after that. So Paul says, I wrote to you in my first letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. You know what they said? They said, oh yeah, we won't do that. Those people out there in the world, we won't associate with them. We know they're sexually immoral. We won't have anything to do with them. Verse 10, Paul said, I didn't mean the sexually immoral people of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, or then you would have had to go out of the world. Verse 11, I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Paul said, I didn't mean the guy at work. I didn't mean the person in your neighborhood. They're not followers of Jesus. They haven't been made new, made holy. I'm not, I didn't mean them. I meant the person in your church who claims the name of the Jesus and then lives however they want to. You don't associate with that person. What does it mean not to associate with? End of verse 11, not even to eat with such one. Why would Paul mention eating in this situation? Probably two reasons. Um, I almost did hashtag there. Almost two, two reasons. Hashtag don't eat. Um, number one, that was really funny, and you guys didn't go with me on that. So <laughs> two reasons. Number one, number one, because remember, this is all in the context of gathered worship. So, so they're thinking about the Lord's Supper. They're thinking about gathering as the church. And Paul says if you have someone who is living purely for the things of the world, they claim the name of Jesus but they are living in a way that perverts the gospel and divides the body, you don't gather with that person as if everything is okay. That person just doesn't come and participate in the Lord's Supper. Like, let's look the other way. We know that person's not honoring the Lord, but we're going to look the other way and pretend that it's not the case. You don't just accept somebody in like that. 
The other thing is Paul knows that eating with someone in this culture, and really even our culture, gives off the idea of acceptance or fellowship. Or yeah, just, just come in close, everything's okay, you can be a part of the group. Remember, Paul gets upset with Peter because Peter won't eat with the Gentile believers. Eating with someone says everything about how you think about that person. Jesus got in trouble all the time with the Pharisees because he would eat with the tax collectors and the sinners. And Paul says the problem here is when someone is living in a way that perverts the gospel and divides the body of Christ, and you eat with that person, it's your way of saying, yeah, that person's okay. They're good with us. They're good with us, and you're saying they're good with the Lord, when in fact that's just simply not the case. So verse 12, Paul says, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? I'm not going to judge the guy in my neighborhood or the guy at my work. That's, that's not my job. Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. So purge the evil person from among you. Skip over to chapter 6, verse 9, that we picked up early in the, the very beginning of the sermon. Paul kind of gives us the same idea over there. Verse 9 Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11. And such were some of you. One of the great lines in all of Scripture. Even if you're not a Bible underliner or a Bible highlighter, that should be underlined and highlighted. Such were some of you. That is the hope that we have. My life is no longer going to be characterized by living for myself, by living in pride, by living for sin, by living in a way that's divisive. Such were some of you in the past tense, but now... Here's what's true about you. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified, not because you earned it, not because you purchased it, not because you were born at the right place to the right people, because of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. Just a beautiful, beautiful summary of the power of the gospel. All right, let's do this. I want to draw three conclusions from these verses about what it means to be a part of a holy church. If you got one of those half-sheet note handouts, three things about being part of a holy church. Number one, holy church membership. Remember where we are here in chapter 6, verse 11. Paul says, such were some of you, but you, as the church, what's true of you? You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. To be a part of the Holy Church of God means that your life has been transformed by the power of the gospel. If you grew up in a church that recited the Apostles' Creed 
on a weekly basis, you probably ran into this. Let me show you part of the Apostles' Creed. This may ring a bell for you. So it, believe, it begins, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And then you can begin to fill in the, the middle of that. Let me skip to the end of it. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. That word Catholic in the Apostles' Creed sometimes throws people off. If, if you grew up in a Catholic background, can cause some confusion or people ask questions about that. Remember that the word Catholic simply means universal or whole. And so the holy Catholic Church, every one of us, who has been made right with God through Jesus Christ is part of the church, the Holy Catholic Church. Sometimes the way we describe this to kids is we say the capital C church. So you write church with, with a capital uppercase C. You're a part of the church. But those who are a part of the church are also called into local churches, local congregations. If you look back in chapter 5, verse 4, so slide up in your phone or go back a page in your Bible if you need to. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus. Paul knows that the people who are a part of the church, who have been washed and justified and sanctified, that they are going to be assembled together in local churches. So sometimes for kids, we'll say this is the lowercase c. So you have capital C church, all believers in all places at all times, and then you have lowercase c, which means we are called to be assembled and gathered together into local churches. Here's the key, though. Those local churches are also to be made up of followers of Jesus. We use a phrase at this point. The phrase is regenerate membership. Regenerate, R-E-G-E-N-E-R-A-T-E, -E -E, regenerate. If regenerate, that word means nothing to you, just substitute the word saved, if that makes more sense to you. The local church, the membership of the local church is made up of those who have been saved. So you're not born onto the list of members in the church. You don't buy your way on to the members of the church. You don't earn your way on to the membership of the church. The only way you become a part of the church is through God's saving work through Jesus Christ in your life. This is the reason, one of the reasons, that we have a membership class that we ask people to attend. And this is the reason we ask people to meet with a staff member or a church leader before they join our church. I hope when you hear that, I hope you don't see a hoop to jump through. I hope you see a church that wants to care for your soul and wants to protect what it means to be a holy church. We don't have a membership class. We don't have you meet with a staff person because we want you to jump through a bunch of hoops. We do that because we take seriously what it means to be a holy church, that God calls us together in the name of Christ. And when people become a part of a church, in gaining that standing, you begin to give them a certain idea about their confidence before the Lord. Oh yeah, I'm a part of that church over there. They let me be a part of the church. And so they begin to think, well, I'm okay with the Lord. 
Well, do they know what it is to repent? Do they know what it is to believe? If we as the church receive someone in but never talk to them about the gospel, we are doing a disservice to that person. We are not caring for their soul. You say, oh, and that's so incredibly exclusive. Why? No, no, no. It's radically inclusive because you don't have to buy your way in. You don't have to be born to the right family. You don't have to earn your way in. The only way to be made right with the church is through Jesus Christ. So it's available. It's an opportunity for everyone. We're not trying to be exclusive. We're just trying to say we want to keep watch over your soul. And membership is one of the ways that we do that. Here's the second thing. Not only Holy Church membership, the second thing is Holy Church maturity. So we become a part of the church, and then we grow together with the church Look again at uh, look again at verse seven. It says, "Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed." God puts us together in the church in order to grow in holiness. Here's something interesting about your Bible. Your Bible says almost nothing about having a quiet time. Now, if the phrase quiet time seems weird to you, that just means you didn't have to grow up in a certain church context. Um, There is nothing wrong with having a quiet time. A quiet time is where you get along with the Lord, you spend time in the Word, you spend time in prayer. I'm not saying anything against that other than your Bible says almost nothing about it. The Bible says so much about being a part of the church. Our primary growth and holiness is not through having an individual quiet time. It's through being shaped by the people of God. Is it good to read your Bible and pray on a daily basis? You better believe it is. It's a powerful opportunity. But God gives us the church to grow us in holiness. As you are a part of the holy people of God, you begin to grow in holiness. This is why Paul is so frustrated about the church allowing sin to run rampant in the church. Because if someone comes into the church and they are not strong in their faith, maybe they've just been a Christian for a few weeks or a few months, and you say, yeah, come and be a part of the church. It's how you'll grow in your faith. And they come into the church and they see people living however they want. And they see the church arrogant or looking the other way about that, do you see the toxic impact that that will make in somebody's spiritual growth? And so what we have to do as the church is we have to be willing to guard holiness. Look back at verse 2. Verse 2 says, you're arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? So what are we going to do about sin? We're going to mourn that. Verse 5, you're to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. How do we do this? Practically, what does this look like? Here's the phrase we use at Emmaus, and I may have written this in your notes, but honestly, I don't don't remember. Here's the way we do this. We do this based on a Matthew 18 pattern with Matthew 7 humility. Matthew 18 pattern with a Matthew 7 humility. Matthew 7 We've referenced this already where it says, Judge not that you be not judged. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? What we are talking about this morning is not free license for you to license yourself as the moral police for the church. 
Um, the person who begins to feel like they're the moral police for the church is usually the person with a big log sticking out of their own eye because they have lost the humility that comes with remembering what God has done in, in their life. And so we need to realize our own need for the Lord, our own need to grow in holiness. So God, make me humble so that I can care for others. How do I do that? Matthew chapter 18. If your brother sins against you, go and post it on Facebook and tell your friends. No, no, no. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. You go one-on-one. Next verse. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If that doesn't work, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And that leads us to the third point, which is the Holy Church mission. Do you know how the church is supposed to treat Gentiles and tax collectors to go after them with the good news of the gospel. This is not push people out because we're vengeful. This is help people know the good news of the gospel and what it means to be a part of the church. If anything you hear this morning says, I knew the church was like that. I knew they just wanted to hurt their own. I knew they just liked to kick people out. No. The heart behind this is that someone would be able to see clearly the gospel message lived out before them. The Gentiles and the tax collectors, remember they show up in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And such were some of you. Emmaus. I pray that we will be a holy church with a holy membership that grows in holy maturity because we have a holy mission. Not to attract people from other churches around, a holy mission to go after people who are far from the Lord and say, here's the good news of Jesus. You can be washed, you can be justified, you can be made holy. Because Jesus loves you, and he died for you, and he rose again. That's our mission. That's our message. Here's what we're going to do as we wrap up this morning. We're going to have a chance to stand and sing a song about holiness, about purity. During that final song, offering plates are going to go around. If you have one of those prayer cards and guest cards you're offering, you can, you can place that in the offering plate. As we've seen this song about holiness and about purity, if you are not a follower of Jesus, we would love to be able to pray with you and talk with you about this. If you are a follower of Jesus, that this morning would be an opportunity that you would recommit to what it looks like to live a holy life. And if you claim the name of Jesus, but you've been living in a way that doesn't match that, this is a time of repentance, a time of coming back to the Lord. Let's pray together and we're going to sing. Father, it's so important this morning that we were able to start out with baptism, to continue by taking the Lord's Supper, and then to come back to your word and think about why those things matter.
God, I pray that here at Emmaus that we would celebrate life change through baptism, that we would celebrate the gift of the church as we take the Lord's Supper, and God, that we would allow your word to lead us. God, make us a holy church. We know that doesn't meet immediate perfection. We will struggle. We will battle against sin and temptation. We'll have ups and downs. We know that. But our eyes always come back to Jesus. God, give us clean hands and a pure heart. Let us be a church ready for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.